1999 Missouri Valley Conference uh, Player of the Year, the Larry Bird Trophy winner, as it is now known. Uh, he scored over 2,000 points at the University of Evansville, uh, Mr. Marcus Wilson. Marcus, thanks so much for taking time and joining me here in the Valley Conference room. Thank you so much for having me. Well, what I like to do with these uh, interviews is sort of just talk talk about you know your past, your present, your future. Um, just sort of uh, let people know what you've been up to because I think one of the things that sort of uh, caught my attention is I saw something here in the local media uh, of what you're doing currently, actually, which is what I want to be sure we get to because that's something that's really important in terms of the community and, and what you're doing with your out- outreach at the YMCA. But as we are the Missouri Valley Conference, obviously, you've got a great right. history here with us, University of Evansville. Uh, and I want to start there. Um, I I did this once before with Blake Ahern, and we talked about uh, his past, and I want to do the same thing with you. So my first question is the recruiting process. Uh, You're an Indiana guy, so that's basketball state right there. Uh, But you end up at Evansville. What's that process like? You were uh, coached by Jim Cruz, obviously, at the time. Uh, Talk about your, your process that led you to Evansville, first off. Well, you know, uh, back then, before AU had really become what it is now, uh, you know, I, I wasn't getting a whole lot of looks in high school. You know, I think uh, my junior year, I might have averaged like 23, and my senior year, I averaged, I was third leading scorer in the state. But, uh, you know, I, I got my looks from Evansville through AAU, and uh, it really boiled down to Evansville and Butler. I had some looks. Uh, from Purdue, but they didn't offer. They were saying that I could come and walk on. Uh, a couple other bigger schools were saying I could come and walk on. Uh, but uh, Evansville and Butler had offered, as as well as much of the MAC, almost the whole MAC, and uh, a lot of lower majors and mid majors. But uh, I kind of wanted to stay somewhat close to home. But the deciding factor, honestly, was uh, it was a stupid reason. Now that I look back, but I wanted to get far enough away from home to where I felt like a man but close enough to where I could get there if I needed to. And so I felt that Indianapolis was a little bit too close. It was only two hours away. And honestly, that's what made my decision. Now, <laughs> now, now that I'm looking back, I'm like, well, that wasn't very wise on how I would make a four-year decision. But everything worked out. But, yeah, it, it was those were my last two choices, and that was why I chose Evansville. I wanted to get a little bit further away from home. Everybody's got their reasons. Yep. I, I had a similar reason for me. You know, I, I went to school in Springfield, mm-hmm. and I was from St. Louis. I didn't want to be at school in St. Louis. And right. I didn't want to go to Mizzou and Columbia because all my friends from high school. I wanted a new start, so yep. that's what led me there. Similar, that's similar, similar path. Um, so you end up at Evansville. Um, you have a great career, and I don't want to go through that because I want to get some stories from you, uh, focusing on the 98-99 year. Of course, mm-hmm. that you guys reached the NCAA tournament. You won the regular season of Valley. Uh, you were player of the year. But um, before I do get there, I- I'm curious to know, when you look back at your time playing there, um, and including your senior year, uh, what stands out to you? Uh, 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 an opponent, a teammate. Is there one particular thing that you like when you think about UE? That thing, that's the first thing that pops in your head. Well, I, it's honestly two things. I think that my culture shock when I got there, uh, coming from South Bend and where I was from, I'm the youngest of 15 kids, and so uh, you know I was in an area where it was uh, predominantly black, and so going to Evansville, which is a predominantly white city, I was. Uh, just the culture shock of being the only African American in the room every every time I went somewhere, and so that was a, a little bit of an adjustment. Which for now, for me, is one of the reasons that I'm a, a champion for diversity and inclusion. I believe in trying to get kids exposed to as many different things and uh, 
ethnicities and races as possible because I know how much it affected me mentally. Uh, but then that was my first year. Everything else in between, there were some stories. And then obviously, like my senior year, I just remember uh, going into the season thinking that I can't leave without a championship. Uh, Coach Cruz had always said that every every class that came through uh, for who stayed for four years left with a ring. And it was I was going into my fourth year, and we were picked preseason six, so the odds weren't looking good. And I just remember that summer working my butt off. I worked. I felt very confident in the work ethic that I put in as far as the extra running, 500 shots a day, bringing guys on my team into the gym with me. Uh, and I just was uh, times when coach said, hey, you guys don't have to work out today. I was a captain. I made us work out. So they were freshmen and sophomores who didn't like me very much at the time. Uh, but they wanted to go home on Fridays. No, we're going to get this workout in before you go home because it was so important for me to win. And we we worked and we worked and to go from – preseason six uh, to winning the Valley by uh, two games just shows how much we surpassed people in that offseason. No one expected it, uh, but I know the work that it went that went into it, and I uh, that's why I know I was a Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year because there were so many moments in the final stretches of close games where I remember looking at my opponent in the eye and feeling like, I know you didn't work as hard as me this summer. And whether they did or not, you know, you know, if you have that mental advantage over someone, that's all it took. And so those two things stand out to me, just getting there and being culture shocked and then the work ethic that myself and my team put in my junior year. You had some uh, great moments. Um, I've got some video, actually, that I found in in the archives I wanted to be able to show you, mostly because the uniforms. Right. uh, (laughs) We'll talk about that a little bit, too. Those sleeves are one of the most unique things in all of college basketball. It's not just a Valley thing. I think people will talk about uniforms they get nostalgic. You think about the Evansville sleeves. Yep. Uh, but the Valley's a little bit different now than when it was uh, when you were playing. And, of course, we had some membership changes. Creighton mm-hmm. Wichita State no, no longer with us. Um, but one thing, and we, you got the chance to talk to Commissioner Doug Elger before we uh, sat down to record here, and you brought up the fact that that 1998-99 year, uh, three teams from the Valley reaching the NCAA tournament. You guys went in the regular season. Creighton was the tournament Arch Madness mm-hmm. winner. And Missouri State received an at-large as mm-hmm. well. Um, first year for the Valley to get three teams in. Of course, 2006-07, yep. we know uh, four teams there. But that was one of the first breakthrough years yep. uh, for the Valley. Um, when you look back at the competition level that, that during that era, uh, what stands out to you of like tough opponents, tough teams that you guys dealt with in that year that you won the regular season? Uh, Rodney Buford. Uh, I remember that he was my uh, he was my friend. I knew him, uh, but he was just he he challenged me. You know, even going into my senior year, he was the unanimous preseason player of the year. Uh, no one else was even close to him athletic wise, and so I just knew that whenever I played against him, that that was my opportunity to show what I could do. And so it was a, uh, you know, I took that personal, um, and you know, it's just. Just going to different places. I remember playing at Bradley was always so tough. Playing at Wichita State was always so tough. And uh, there were no easy games. Illinois State is always so tough. And so I just thought that the level of competition was high across the board. It, it wasn't like we had three good teams and seven who were just below par. I mean, I, I felt like there were um, there were quite a few teams. If I'm not mistaken, I think we had six losses. 
and uh, the uh, you know, so for the teams who were picked to win the Valley, like uh, Creighton and Southwest Missouri State going into the season, I believe they had eight losses, and so to go through a, a, a conference and your better teams having uh, that many losses just shows how, how tough the conference was, and I know it wasn't uh, 98-99, but even the year before, playing against Rico Hill. Rico Hill was so good. Uh, Rodney Buford was really, really good. And so these guys were guys that over the summer, when I worked out, like I said, when we were talking about the the effort that we put in that summer, um, I used my imagination. I always tell my players that I coach now, like, have an imagination. Don't just shoot to be shooting. Imagine shooting over your opponent. Imagine this guy picking you up full court. Imagine putting this move on somebody. And so when I'm imagining putting on my moves and I'm doing my dribbling moves and I'm thinking I got a six seven athlete like Rodney Buford who has a 38-inch vertical and like a 7-foot wingspan, it made me go harder. And if, if it wasn't for someone like him, I wouldn't have been the player that I was, so him pushing me. You guys in, in 99, uh, 23 and 10, you were 13 and 5. So five. You, you gave yourself an extra loss that you guys didn't have. <laughs> okay. Uh, of course, you were 2 and 1 tournament loss in the championship game, and then uh, 8 and 4 non Valley, and then you had the uh, NCAA tournament game, obviously, against Kansas. So, you remember that guy right there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's, that, that's me with hair. So, that's quite a few years ago. <laughs> I've got a photo of uh, Marcus from uh, what I think is the 99 season, but yeah, him with hair and, and the Evansville sleeves. Uh, what was it like playing in that uniform? Oh, it was heavy. <laughs> it was heavy. You know, the actually, the games felt uh, easy because you got to imagine in practice we have reversible sleeves. And so when you have a reversible jersey with sleeves, you know, it can get pretty heavy on you. But uh, it was for me, it was always a sense of pride because, you know, and, and you'll get this and a lot of people in this area get this. So whenever I was outside of the Evansville area and they said, where do you go to school? Oh, Evansville. Oh, in Southern Illinois? No, not Edwardsville, Evansville. Oh, the team with the sleeves. And so that's how we were known across the country. Uh, That wasn't just a Midwestern thing. Anybody who watched basketball at the time, now it might be followed with a joke, or you guys got volleyball jerseys. (laughs) Uh, But at the same time, they knew it was something that allowed us to stand out. And so now, you know, as you look in the NBA, and the NBA has have sleeves, now they're a lot more tight-fitting. But at the same time, you know, I feel like we were trendsetters in that area. And uh, it was definitely something with us being one of the smallest D1 schools in the country. It was the one way that we could stand out and separate ourselves. Yeah. Did you guys have those sleeves all four years you played? Yep. Yep. Uh, They didn't. uh, Evansville got away from them uh, a few years after, I think, when Coach Murfield came. And then when Coach Simmons came back, I believe he brought them back. So, yep. Interesting. Like I said, that's. I go back that far and I can remember them. It's kind of like, why are they playing in <laughs> sleeves? Like, that, that can't help shooting. But obviously, you've practiced in them, and which right. that's new to me. Didn't know you guys even practice in them. So, but I guess it gives you a feel for yep. what it's going to be like in the game when you're dealing with that. So. Exactly. So, like I said, the practice, you got to imagine when you're going through three hour practices and, and your jersey is sweaty and it's a reversible <laughs> sleeve, uh, you know, so it didn't really affect us in yeah. games. And that 98-99 year, um, you guys have a heck of a team. Um, Eric Snow, I think, is on that team. Craig Snow. Craig Snow. Yep. Sorry, my, my, my mistake. Um, I went through and I found a, a, number, a number of the games that I thought were interesting, but the one, the one that we were talking about here in the office that does stand out was in February, Missouri State in, in Evansville, and this shot that 
bounces up and bounces in yep. by you. You remember that moment? Can yep. you recall what that's like? What that it, it, anything specific about that game? Because that was a game that won the regular season for you guys. Yeah. So there, there are so many memories around that. Uh, so many backdrop stories. So. Uh, my junior year in high school playing AAU, we finished third in the country. And on that team was uh, Jerron Cornell, who ended up going to Purdue, Kevin Alt, who ended up oh, going to yeah. Southwest Missouri State. Yeah. And so Kevin Alt, I believe, was Mr. Basketball the following year. So uh, he was always known as one of the better shooters to come out of Indiana. So you got to think, as a senior and he's a junior, this was, I used a lot of things to motivate me. So, like I said, that summer of uh, my junior year, Rodney Buford motivated me. Uh, Illinois State, who I hadn't beat, motivated me. Uh, beating Kevin Alt motivated me. Now, he's a friend, but at the same time, when we when we got on the court, I was angry. Like, I, I didn't, I wanted to make sure that people knew that I was better than him. Whether I was or not, that's what inspired me. So, going into that game, I had so many things that was inspiring me to play well. You know, it was senior night. Um, it was my last home game at Robert Stadium. Um, if we lose, we're, we're in a three-way tie, which I don't think that we get an at-large bid. I needed to win because I wanted to play in the NCAA tournament. As a kid, I was the kid who cried after the, after the, after the, the season was over because I always watched One Shining Moment. Oh, yeah. And one of my dreams was to be on One Shining Moment. Now, I never <laughs> made it, but I knew I would never get it if I never got to the tournament. Sure. So. That may sound like a joke to you, but going into it, like I was like, I have to win this game, and so we we have to win this game. And so uh, there was a shot before that that I, I believe I hit a three at the end of regulation to send it into overtime, and then uh, in overtime. Obviously, I run the baseline and I get to the corner and I shoot the shot and it hits the rim and it bounces to the top of the backboard and it bounces in and, uh, you know, that ball bounces a half an inch in any other direction. And I may not be sitting here even talking to you right now. So I can't uh, specifically say one thing. I just remember the shot and just having such a a relief of knowing that uh, we were going to be champions, um, that I could say that I brought a championship to uh, University of Evansville and that we had a chance to go to the tournament, which it actually did. And so to win the conference, um, again, that was a chip on my shoulder going into the conference. I didn't get one preseason vote for player of the year, um, that we were picked six. And so to have a chance to win the conference by two games at home on senior night in front of my family um, against players that had been ranked ahead of me in high school, there was so much motivation for me to come out and do well. So I was just thankful that I got the right bounce. And I think that you get, just like in life, you get bounce. Bounces go well for you when you work hard. Yeah. And I know that I, I know my work ethic that led up to that uh, led to that bounce. What was it like playing at, of course, Evansville plays at the Ford Center now. Back then, Robert Stadium, mm-hmm. uh, totally different feel. We were talking about that ahead of time yep. as well, where you know a lot of our in, in, that's something that's sort of happened in the Valley. We've got new facilities. You know, yep. technology makes a difference and other things like that. But, like, I can remember Hammond Student Center, you might <laughs> as well, where seats are on top of you yep. and it's close and intimate. Robert's sort of similar feel. Yep. What do you remember about playing in that facility and what it's like playing home games there? It was awesome. You know, uh, there were uh, my freshman year we had, um, well, when I came for a visit, you know, Andy Elkins and Reed Jackson was there. And so that's when uh, Robert Stadium I believe set about eleven five, and I mean they were getting the ten five eleven thousand people, so it was just right on top of you, and it was loud, and you know a lot of people from out of state uh, came in and were just in awe about it. Now you got to think, growing up in Indiana, I believe like 
eight out of the top ten largest gyms in the country are from Indiana. So my <laughs> regional year, uh, I mean, my year, my senior year in high school, we played in regionals in Elkhart, and I believe there were eight thousand people at my game there. So it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it didn't intimidate me, right. but it just it felt like Indiana, sure, with all these fans coming to watch a game, and we're the smallest Division One school. Uh, in the country and all these fans from from the city are coming and watching and wearing purple and so I just remember just always you know especially my senior year when we were winning uh, just having a packed house and it being so loud and having so many people waiting after for autographs and just it was it, it felt like Indiana basketball and it was awesome just college basketball to have that many people there supporting you at a small D1 school. Which leads me to my next question, Arch Madness, which is our right. crown jewel here yep. in, the, in the conference office. Um, just sort of your thoughts and memories of playing in the conference tournament. Of course, it's, it's a big deal for us, but I'm always curious to know about the players because I don't get a chance to ask this question a whole lot. You know, I definitely don't ask it during a post-game interview when right. you know, emotions are high, but when you look back on it, and that's one of the things where our fans year-round talk about, yep. getting to Arch Madness and just the experience there as a Someone that played and you know had some success in his career in college. Mm-hmm. Just your your memories and experience playing at Arch Madness. Well, it was just an awesome stadium. I mean, it, it was uh, the Kill Center, and so we were just, uh, which is now Scott's Trade, but it was it was just it felt like big time basketball. You know, all this all the teams were there, and so to see all of the people that you were competing against. Walking around in the in the hotels, and do you speak or do you hold the grudge because you're playing them the right, next day? And right. it was just that type of feel for me. It was just always, you know, I took it very personal. Um, you know, I see a lot of kids these days that, you know, they're they're very good friends with the guys they play with, and there's nothing wrong that wrong with that. But for me, a lot of times when, like I said, I had a, a big chip, a boulder on my shoulder. These were people that. Uh, you got to remember, I'm the youngest of 15 kids, and so I wanted to take care of my mom and dad. So every time I saw these guys in the hallway, the night before the game, I'm seeing them thinking, these are guys that are trying to take money away from me. I want to play professionally. And if they beat me out here in front of these scouts, they're going to get my, they're going to get that contract next year. Now, I know this is crazy, <laughs> but this is the mind of a young sure, Marcus Wilson sure. that's, that's, that's motivating me. And so at the same time, there were people that, had better games, uh, you know, may, may have played well against me. You know, Rob Dyer, I remember he was a really good player. And like I said, Buford and guys who I knew who were going to be guarding me. So it was, just a, it was just a good experience to see these guys as normal college players. Yeah. But I didn't allow myself to enjoy it as much as I probably should have because I was too busy holding a grudge against them. And, you know, even if, if they walked by me and didn't speak, even though I wasn't planning on speaking to them, it's like, oh, okay, that's how it is. I'm getting you tomorrow. And like, you know, it's this constant mind games with yeah. myself to get myself motivated. Is is that what the relationship was like? Like, you play four years for one school. You see these guys, you know, four years in some cases. You yeah. know, if they come up the same year as you and you're there all four years together, you start to develop the rivalry. You t- you've talked about Rodney Buford, obviously, yeah. and, and Rob Dye and guys like that and Kevin Alt. Um, do you, you know, by the time you're a senior, you're like, we're going to Bradley. We know what we're in for. Yeah. You just something just clicked because you know you've got some sort of if it's a personal or a team rivalry with someone. Yep. Is that what the relationship is like for me? Now I can't speak for other people, but I, as I talk to other people, they tell me I'm crazy about it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, for for me, I tried to be as nice as possible. Uh, now 
like with with guys that I played against for four years, like uh, Rodney Buford, and uh, that was probably my you know my biggest competitor. And we were at the Chicago pre-draft camp together after that summer, so we we were friends. But a lot of guys I didn't allow myself to get too close to. Now I would speak, and you know we shake hands, sure. and there was a, a mutual respect. Um, Ryan Sears and Ben Walker at Creighton were incredible competitors, and so I had an ultimate respect for them. You know, I knew that if there was a loose ball, I better dive on the floor first because they were definitely getting on the floor with me. And so, but at the same time, I wouldn't allow myself to become too good of friends with them because I needed to harbor some type of animosity against them in order to play as hard as I needed to. Uh, Now, maybe I would have been able to play as hard without that. But I know that that was the chip on my shoulder that allowed me to, I felt, get, give me the competitive advantage. All right, so let's fast forward. Uh, we talked about it before. You guys win the regular season. Um, you lose a championship game at Arch Madness to Creighton, but you still get the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. And your name comes up against Kansas. Yep. What's, what's You see you're matched <laughs> up against we all know the history of Kansas basketball. Yep. What's the first thing that's coming to your mind? Like, okay, that's that's where we're going. Opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity. I mean, no one. I remember sitting in the basement uh, at, our, at our coach's house, and we were sitting there, and we're going through, and we're we don't we're not sure if we're getting in, and we're thinking, surely if Creighton is going to get in because they won the tournament, and we won the regular season by two full games and we made it to the conference championship surely we're getting in but you know you're still nervous and so they called our name and you know we're playing against we're playing against they, they said Kansas first because obviously they announced the higher seed they were six we were 11 and I just remember opportunity like I have a chance to play against uh, one of the most storied uh, history programs in, 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 in college basketball and so uh, I just remember being so excited. There was no fear. Uh, you, you, you know that over the summers I had worked uh, basketball camps. At the time, I went to Five Star Basketball Camp and worked uh, under Howard Garfinkel. Rest in peace for him. But uh, he brought he allowed me to work there. And there were players I was playing against, like James Posey and um, other guys who were all Americans. Um, who so I wasn't afraid of anyone. You know, and I played against these guys and played well every time I went to other venues where I played against other guys. So there was no one on their roster that struck fear in my heart. I just remember thinking, uh, I, I looked up their roster and I, I had seen them play and I remember uh, Ryan Robertson. I remember thinking, Ryan Robertson's about to have a long day because uh, <laughs> I'm coming for his head. And, uh, you know, obviously it, it, it worked out. And uh, But again, that was just a chip. It was like Kansas, you know, I know there's going to be, we were young, we had some freshmen and I knew going into that game, uh, that they were going to be nervous, as I would have been when I was a freshman. Uh, when I was a freshman, we played Michigan State. My first shot traveled three feet over the rim. I almost <laughs> shot it over the backboard. I was so nervous. So I knew what they were going to feel as freshmen. But being a senior, this was an opportunity. This was an opportunity for me to show the country on national television that I was a pro. And I really wanted to do that. So it was just, that's the one word, was opportunity. I get a chance to show what I can do. Now, of course, you guys didn't win the game, but... You had a heck of a performance. Yep. And the one thing that was pointed out to me, I think you had, I'm not sure if it was 34, 35, 36, something like that. Yep. But 18 points, like the first... Eight minutes. Okay. Yep. So I've never played in a game where there was no TV timeouts for eight minutes. I, I, I challenge anyone to find another game where the game starts at the 20 minute, you know, obviously 20 minutes, yeah. and that there's not a TV timeout until it was approximately 1130. 
Um, so there should have been one at 16. So right. from 16 until 11.30, there just weren't any breaks. And we were exhausted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's just it allowed me to get into a rhythm. And I came out and made my first couple shots. And that's all it took was to make you know a couple shots. And I, I watched the game for the first time, honestly, about two weeks ago because I was superstitious. I, really? Two weeks ago from? From 1999. It was the first time I watched the game to, from start to finish and ever because I was superstitious the same way. Like I, I said, I'm, I have all these little crazy stories but you know I was very I had a chip on my shoulder and I was superstitious so at, I would never look at my stats throughout the season because I did as a freshman and I remember shooting approximately let's say 45% from the field so if I miss my first two shots in my mind I'm thinking I got to go I got to go 3 for 5 yeah. You know, I got to go, I got to make, I mean, I got to go two out of my next five just to be 40%. And so now instead of playing the game, I'm playing a percentage in my mind. I've always been pretty good at math. And so after that, I stopped looking at my stats. Oh, I'm averaging 20. You know, how many games left to go in the season? And my mind starts thinking that way. So I would never look at stats after the games. And I would watch film, but primarily to study my defender and to study their defense of how I thought they were going to play me and to study, you know, obviously the scout of what I needed to do, who I needed to defend and study their uh, habits. But I would never watch the game, a full game, or watch myself. And so I watched it for the first time and it was, <laughs> um, you know, it was an awesome eight minutes uh, and got off 18 points in the first eight minutes, which, you know, another thing, I just posted it on social media two weeks ago and someone said, you know, for you to have that game, with Billy Packard and Jim Nance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't just some guys who they just threw on the game because right. it was Evansville. These are legends announcing our game uh, against Kansas. And for me to have that opportunity, and uh, I was lucky to be able to make some shots early on. And so it was just, it's a great, it's a great memory, obviously. Well, you had a career after Evansville, obviously. Um, Talk about what what was it like playing overseas. Um, a lot of guys from the Valley do that nowadays. Yeah. That's become a common thing. Um, and some some names that some current fans might know: Kyle Weems, uh, Wes Washman. There's some guys that are really making a solid career for themselves yep. uh, playing overseas, and quite honestly, become some stars over there. Which yep. you know, to a lot of us, you don't know that we're not there. Right. But if you hop on social media, you can see them retweet stuff about themselves. They're on the cover of magazines. You know, they're being interviewed. Yep. Um, you're part of an era where you know that's where that sort of gets started because the level mm-hmm. of basketball that the valley's playing is sort of being is, is rising. Um, you had a couple different stops. Tell me about what your your post Evansville career was like. Well, I played in uh, so the, the, there wasn't you know if people go look, I, there's been times where I've kind of looked for her. Uh, film or anything of myself and you know YouTube didn't come out till I want to say mid 2000s yeah sure so there wasn't a sharing there wasn't a site to share uh, MySpace didn't come out until later <laughs> yeah. you know and so there uh, so there wasn't an opportunity to share so even back then it was more word of mouth about where I was at uh, I remember starting off and I went to Poland after that uh, I went to Venezuela for the summer league after that I went to Israel um, that was a unique experience because I remember what I remember about Israel is, you know, after a game, there was some st- there were some things happening in the world similar to what it is now, you know, just controversy uh, and war and threats of it and, and whatnot. And so I remember there was a bomb uh, that went off a few miles away from where I was staying. I was playing for Hopol Halan right outside of Tel Aviv in a suburb called uh, 
I think it was called Hapol Halan. But uh, so we were there, and I remember after the practice, they told us, "Hey, don't go to any public places. You know, don't go to the mall." Um, don't go to grocery stores, stay away from buses, uh, don't go out. And I'm like, you know, I'm 22 years old, I'm ready to go out. I'm like, why? Oh, that's where they target uh, for suicide bombers and stuff. Wow. Uh, practice tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Just as fluent as can be. And I'm like, hold on, man. And this is for the team. This is for the team. doesn't matter if you're American. Yeah, this is for the team. Just like, okay. don't go places where there's a lot of people wow. because that's where they target. Clubs, buses, um, Things of that nature. And I just remember calling my agent like, man, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. So uh, playing games and, you know, you're shooting the free throw and the door behind the free throw, there's armed guards with AK-47s. And I, I just wasn't very comfortable with that, obviously. And so uh, uh, I left there, came home for a couple months, which was my first time. I actually threatened them and said, hey, you know, I don't want to be here, blah, blah, blah. They brought in another American, uh, Shaheen Holloway. So that's an old name from Seton Hall. Uh, they said, you guys can compete. I said, I don't want to compete against them. I'm ready to go home anyway. And so I got ho- I technically got cut, uh, went home for a couple months, and everybody's like, what are you doing home? It's November. And so that was embarrassing. That was a very humbling moment of when you get sent home from Europe and people are asking questions. Um, I was home for two months, went to Italy, played there for a month on a replacement. I replaced a guy who was injured. Then I went to France, went there for the remainder of the season, led Pro B France in scoring, signed back. Uh, led the league in scoring again. Uh, then I went to Germany, back to France, um, played first division France after that, and then so finally got a great opportunity to start playing against the higher level talent. You got to think that's when I was playing against Boris Diaw, Mikhail Pietrus. These are young Fran- French players. Tony Parker was young yeah. on the younger team. He wasn't getting much playing time yet. Um, so these are guys in France who were high level players who people hadn't heard of yet, and I'm playing against these guys, and I was third in the third and uh in the league and scoring and so i knew i felt that i was a uh, uh capable of playing in the nba and you know i was getting nba tryouts over the summer i'm playing and they had a tryout with uh the jazz and the knicks and the bucks and but I, you know i'm six three and a half playing the two and never was really quite athletic or uh, uh, to be a point guard so then i kind of specialized in europe so after that i'm in belgium where else belgium ukraine turkey uh, Spain, so uh, ter- uh, yeah, so nine countries in eleven years, and so I bounced around a, a lot in part because I wanted to. Now you got to realize, like I said, I'm the youngest of fifteen kids and grew up pretty poor, so I never you know, a road trip for me was to Chicago. It was an hour and 15 minutes away or two hours to Indianapolis. So if there was a, ever a time where there was a contract and it was like, do you want to stay in this country or do you want to go? I want to go to another country because I don't know when I'm ever going to see this again. And so, uh, you know, I got I tried to move around as much as I could and experience as much as I could, which has really affected what I'm doing now because I, I believe in diversity and inclusion and seeing things from other people's lenses, not just my own. And so uh, that really shaped who I was at the time and helped shape what I'm doing now. But it was just an awesome experience. You know, I, I brought my my wife over there, and I unfortunately, I say this jokingly, but I asked her to marry me on top of the Eiffel Tower, which I say unfortunately because that's hard to top. I was going to say, what else is after that? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to top. <laughs> and so I wasn't thinking that at the time, but, you know, this is to offer experiences like that and to be able to travel you know when we had breaks you know i traveled to different other countries and you know these are things that 
cost thousands and thousands of dollars yeah. to do now. And so I was doing that for free at the time. And so it was just, it was a great experience and, you know, something I really cherish. And although I, I really wanted to play in the NBA, uh, the experiences I got in Europe, being able to learn to speak Spanish, uh, meeting people. Uh, one of the things that changed my life, I remember, is this, uh, in 2001 when there was, and, and 9-11, uh, I flew out of the country in September 10th. Wow. So I landed on September 11th, and I went directly to my apartment. I woke up. I went to practice at about 5 p.m., which was about uh, 11 a.m., uh, U.S. time and guys on my team are like you know with the accent Marcus Marcus they, they knocked down the big buildings in, in New York and I'm like what are you talking about and, and you know it didn't it it, it it was nothing that my mind could even imagine until after practice I go home and I'm seeing what's going on I'm calling back and and at the time you know in France there's a lot of French Muslims from Africa and so when I got back to America after that year uh, there was a lot of animosity against uh, Muslims and Arabs but I had just played a season and, and lived in a country with them and they invited me into their homes yeah. and they fed me and they came over to my house and we had Bible studies together. They wanted to learn more about Christianity. And so I saw a side and I got back to America and there was just so much tension and uh, sometimes hatred against that group. And I, and I was I didn't have it because these were people who had treated me better than a lot of people in America as far as inviting me to their homes and making sure I felt welcome and taking me to places and translating for me when I couldn't translate to get a cell phone and things of that nature. So that opened my eyes to show me that, you know, a lot of times people talk now about the media, uh, what they portray, but I lived seeing people who were being uh, casted in a certain way. But I knew that they were good people, and so it allowed me to just open my mind, and it, it changed my life. As far as like I said, in terms of diversity and inclusion, and, and loving people, and being a, and just seeing and giving people a chance to show their character without judging them from someone else's point of view. Do you have any any hangups about being in all those countries? Like, was there any like the language barrier, or just the, you talked about the culture shock when you went when you went to Evansville, like being in all those places? Anything hang, give you a hang up, or was it just for you? You just saw that opportunity and, and you, you were seeing the world. I was blessed to world. see the world. Yeah. Now, was I homesick? Yes, because now, I mean, these overseas guys got it easy. You got iPhones that can text. I text with guys right now. I can text a couple guys in Europe, and they'll get it and text me right back. Yeah. Uh, my first year in Poland, I went out and bought a desktop computer, uh, and I was call and I was calling calling cards. My first phone bill was $1,800 because I was homesick. I'm calling my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and calling my family. And I remember call, I remember being 21 years old, calling my mom and dad, like, I'm ready to come home. And my dad said, boy, you work too hard to come home. You better stick it out. My mom, you know, being a mom, was like, baby, if you sick, come home, you know. And so, you know, I was hurting. You know, there was no way. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Skype. There wasn't uh, iPhones and iTechs. And so, uh Early on in my career, it was very hard to get used to uh, just being away and not being able to talk to people. But once I started opening up my mind and opening up myself to the culture, uh, like I said, I was just I started looking at it like, man, this is an opportunity to see the world and to meet people and to do different things and go to Amsterdam and Paris and all these places. And so uh, I have nothing but fond memories of it. You've also had some what I'd call a nine-to-five job. You've worked in some corporate jobs and corporate yep. American things like that. Also an assistant down the road at St. Louis University. Yep. Uh, what did all of your experiences in the past 
teach you once you got into those jobs working in, in you know corporate business or when you eventually became an assistant coach at SLU. Those life lessons have to give you something that you're teaching yep. coworkers or players at St. Louis University at that time that has has some sort of value. I gotta imagine exactly. And so I. One of the reasons why I volunteer coach right now, I volunteer coach at uh, St. Louis Christian here, a high school here in town, but I coach AAU as well. And one of the things I always tell my players is playing sports, and I'm trying to emphasize this to my son right now because he's not a huge sports fan, and I, and I don't want to be the dad that forces his own him, but sure. I want him to play sports because what spo- sports has allowed me to be successful in the business world. And the reason why is... Uh, you see a lot of the uncomfortable conversations that we have in the world right now, everything from uh, kneeling for the anthem or whatever, but I think in, in, in locker rooms, you go through that uncomfort very early because there's, there's people on the team who are rich, who are poor, who are black, who are white, who are from different, have different experiences. And you know what? When coach tells you to get on the line, you all get on the line, and you all suffer together, and you all get back in the locker room, and you talk about how hard it was together, and you bond. And then from that point on, there's no color. There's no race. There's no, uh, you're rich, I'm poor. Man, we struggled together, and I almost threw up, and we did throw up together, and whatever it took. And so uh, I think that playing sports allowed me to be able to identify with different people from different uh, backgrounds other than myself. And so that culture shock that I felt at Evansville, the sports aspect of continuing to grow with my teammates at Evansville and in Europe, now when I was a director at Chick-fil-A in, in Atlanta, or now that I'm executive director at the YMCA, and I have staff who are from different races and from different economic backgrounds and kids who are single parents and uh, from single-parent homes and from whatever their, their background is, I've had several teammates like that and teammates who have told me the positives and negatives. One of the things I tell people all the time, like I remember when I was young, I thought it was so hard being poor, and I had a teammate once tell me, well, I would have loved to have your life because at least you had a mom and dad around uh, who invested in you. I had a mom and dad, but they were rich, and my dad traveled all the time. My mom traveled all the time. Uh, I was raised by a nanny. And I'm thinking, well, you had a million-dollar house, bro. I would have traded it. He was willing to trade the million-dollar house for a family that was together. And it was like, whoa, I never thought about it like that. And so now I'm able to identify with so many different people, which uh, – which has allowed me to be successful as a leader in the different areas that I've worked in just because I'm able to identify with my staff and they they see it as genuine. It's not like, oh, I think I get you. They know it by my responses, by my compassion with them. And so sports taught me all of that. No, Nothing else. You can go through the trainings all you want. Sports and dealing with different people teach you that. And so... Uh, that's that's why I always I, I love sports, whether it's basketball, football, whatever. The conversations you have in those locker rooms, people who don't play sports can't identify with it. And I always look when I'm looking to hire. <laughs> I love hiring sports people because another thing that sports teaches you is when when I'm done with my job, like if I'm if I'm running and I see that there's someone else struggling, you know how many times you've got behind that guy and just pushed him, literally pushed him to run, pushing his back. And so when guys finish their task at three o'clock. People who don't play sports, I, I find a lot of times, I'm not judging everyone, but they'll sit there and they get on Facebook and boom, 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 boom. And the person right next to them has a stack of papers, but this person's done with their job. 
sports people who play sports are like, hey, let me help you with that. Because they're used to being a part of a team. team. And it allowed me to develop those habits unknowingly. And now that I'm in the business world, it just comes naturally and uh, I'm really thankful for it. You mentioned the staff that you work with. Um, You're now executive director of the YMCA. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious... Now, I mentioned that you were assistant coach at St. Louis University. What sort of drew you to, to sort of make some roots here in St. Louis, first off, when, when talking about the YMCA? Well, I was, uh, I was in Atlanta, so when I retired from playing basketball, uh, my family was living in Atlanta. We, we moved to Atlanta in 2004, 2005, uh, something like that. And uh, so that was just my summer home. I was still playing overseas. When I stopped in 2011, I came home and was looking for a job and, Honestly, at first I couldn't find a job. You know, I could speak at the time I could speak Spanish and French. I've lost my French since then, but um, I remember thinking I have great social skills. You know, I've been working for the last what twelve years in Europe and whatever. And then I came back and tried to get a job, and people were like, uh, "Well, when was the last time you worked?" I'm like, "Well, I just." Stopped working last year. No, no. When was the last time you clocked in nine to five? And so my basketball experience didn't translate at first. And so I, I actually had to humble myself and I took a minimum wage job working at a car wash sweeping parking lots. Uh, I became the best parking lot sweeper in Atlanta. <laughs> uh, and I got a promotion after about three months, but I wanted to be good at it. And, uh, and then I went from there to Aaron Sales and Lease. Didn't really like that job. I didn't really like um, a lot about it, you know. But and then I went from there to uh, a director at Chick Fil A, and so. Uh, but I wanted to coach, and one of my dreams was to coach college basketball. And so, I was going to the Final Fours. The Final Four came to Atlanta, uh, and in 2013, I believe. 13, yeah. And so I was going out and I started meeting some coaches that played, that coached against me, played against me. You got to think that there were players who played who went right into coaching uh, when I graduated in 99. So they've been in the game for 12, 13 years. But they remembered me. And so, you know, I'm networking a little bit and I saw Coach Cruz down there uh, and I talked to him. And one thing led to another. He offered me a job at SLU. And so I took it. I I left Chick-fil-A. Uh, and, and came here to SLU, and so that's what brought me here. And you know, we we were here for three years, and unfortunately, we weren't able to win enough. And 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 and, and, and SLU's eyes, and I don't have any animosity towards them. They gave me an opportunity to fulfill a dream of coaching, and I understand that we just didn't win enough for those last couple of years. But uh, after that, that's what uh, gave me the opportunity to to join the Y, and so that's what brought me here. Okay, and. What originally connected me to you through social media was that I saw the report of what you were doing with sort of um, connecting with the community, you know, yep. giving giving kids an opportunity of somewhere to go where they can develop these skills you were just just been talking about. Yep. Um, t- tell me more about what this, what that development's like, like yep. what your goals are for you know what you're doing at the YMCA and what you're hoping kids can get out of it. Yep. Um, especially here in St. Louis. I mean, make no mistake about it. We know what's going on in St. Louis right <laughs> yeah. now. But it, it's not just now. You know, I've grown up here my entire life. Yep. And you know, our city, you know, it's got some points of poverty there. And yep. you're providing something there that gives them you know, uh, something to reach for and some, some level of positivity there. Yep. Talk about what you're providing there that's sort of a, a, a little high mark for them. Okay, so... Uh I'm at the Monsanto Family Y, which is at 5555 Page here in St. Louis. Uh, so any anybody out there that's wanting to come, come by and check me out. That's where I'm at. But uh, you know, we we are in uh, a rough part of the town, and one of the reasons that drew me to that Y in particular was 
uh, I don't know if people outside of St. Louis will know about this, but people in St. Louis have heard of the Del Mar Divide. And I felt that being at St. Louis University, um, this was, it was close, it was the close, the, the Monsanto YMCA was the closest Y to SLU. And I felt that I could hopefully bring some of my resources from the relationships I had developed at SLU to help that community. And so I grew up in a community similar to that, and so I really wanted to try to figure out how could we bring some resources, whether it's financial or um, even robotics classes, you know, or things like that. I wanted to help that community, you know, and so anybody who's been in St. Louis, you know, on one side of Del Mar, you have the Central West End and you have some really nice houses, uh, half million, million dollar houses. And then you cross Del Mar and oftentimes you can't even get the weeds pulled. And there's just poverty, like literally across the street. And so I, that that affected me. And I felt that I could help with that. And so when you talk about in terms of the youth um, and what was uh, I was featured on, 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 on the news about a program that I was doing. And so a lot of it is just bringing kids in. And for me, my goal is to love them because there's a lot of kids that have dads um, that don't know how to show them love. There's kids that grow up without fathers. Um, there's a lot of kids that just need help. I, there's no way I get to where I am without help. And so when I was in high school, there was a guy named Pat Magley who ran Heroes Camp in South Bend, Indiana, who brought us in. And a lot of us who were latchkey kids, instead of going home, you know, there's there's a burden put on kids who are g- growing up in poverty. Uh, you know, people say, well, every, you know, it's, it's, it's America. Everybody can learn and go to school. And if they drop out, that's their fault. True, I, I, I'll concede some of that. But at the same time, when you have a child who has a, uh, a single mom who's working two jobs and that child gets home from school at 3.30 and he's 10 years old, most 10-year-olds, most 16-year-olds don't have the discipline when their friends to come knock on the door and say, you want to come outside and play? No, 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 I'm going to stay here and do my homework, guys. I'll catch you later. No, they're going to go outside and play. Right. So now when that mom is work, working her second job and she comes home at 10 o'clock and she's tired and little Johnny's asleep already, no one checked his homework. Sometimes he didn't even do his homework. And so uh, I know that there were people that helped me along that process. And so there's kids that need that. Even if it's not financial, they just need someone to ask them, did you do your homework today? What's your grades like? To show interest in what they're doing. When they get A's, to to make a big deal out of it, not just make a big deal out of it when they get F's, yeah. to give them positive attention. And so there were people that did that to me, uh, did that for me growing up whether it was my parents or whether it was people in the community, people like Pat Magley, uh, people all along my life that gave me positive encouragement and gave me something to uh, look forward to. And so for me, that's all I try to do is I want to try to be someone that, you know, kids come in and they get excited. Hey, Mr. Marcus, I just I just got an A on my test. Man, great job, buddy. Man, so, so, so proud of you. Let's go out to lunch sometime. And so now that kid has has something to look forward to and so I just try to love on the kids I try to give them uh, support resources um, and what what we were featured on the news is I was bringing kids in who didn't who couldn't afford memberships and I just said I opened up my gym on Tuesday nights and said come on in here uh, there's no cursing there's three rules there's no cursing there's no fighting and then if you knock someone down hard enough uh, on a file you have to help them up because Young me, like I, we were talking about earlier, if I knock you down, I'm gonna walk away, and that's how. And just like let you know, hey, you know, we're not friends, but that's how beef starts. Right. And so after you knock the guy down, you have to give him a hand to help him back up, so they know it's all good, and we're gonna continue playing. And just things like that brings guys who now people don't understand. 
when they're doing that in my gym, now if this kid is in, in a fight in school and he's played against another kid at my Y from another school or out in the street, he now knows this kid and he's like, hey, no, he's cool, man. Let's not, don't jump on him or whatever because you develop that camaraderie at the Y. And so I'm just trying to bring kids together, give them some structure. And also a lot of times, uh, when you have kids that go home and their home environment is bad and there's kids at school that they're hanging out with that aren't doing the right thing and when, they're, when they want to stay inside and do study, oh, you're being a nerd and why don't you want to do that? If I can bring 75 to 80 kids who are positive, now they're like, oh, it's not such a bad thing to right. be positive. There's a bunch of other kids that look just like me who want to do positive things and even if they're only getting that one day a week, sometimes that keeps them on the right track and so... I just try to help how I can because there's there's people that help me growing up. That's I I got no words for it because I'm I'm thinking to myself like there's not a whole lot you don't hear a lot of your stories right. what's going on especially nowadays but such a level of just positivity and trying to make a difference. Um, God, we need more more like more people like you right. doing what you're doing especially like you said in St. Louis like I said I've grown up here um, it's just something we don't hear enough about so I know yep. for one as a neighbor I appreciate what you're doing uh, it, it's, it. it's, a, it's a great thing and, and there should be more like it so um, I'm almost done but I've got a couple quick things I want to do with you okay first I just want you to tell me the first thing that pops in your head uh, and response to these questions so there's a sort of quick hitters okay just shout out the answer what you got so you got um, favorite teammate you played with at UE Ooh. Man, probably Craig Snow. Okay. Um, favorite arena, not counting Roberts, that you like to play in the Valley? So uh, Wichita State. Boy, they're no longer there. but uh, That's okay. That's yeah, okay. Wichita State was always good. Um, you've talked about Rodney Buford, so I'm going to put a caveat on this one. Uh, your favorite rival or opponent, not Creighton or Rodney Buford. So give me somebody besides him that uh, you like playing against. Uh... Rico Hill, we were in the same class, but okay. he left after his junior year and went went pro early. But Rico Hill, outside of Rodney Buford, um, one moment that sticks out for you at your time at UE, the shot yeah, against okay. against Missouri. That's okay. State. Yep. Okay. Um, one opponent not in the valley that you sort of man, I want to challenge him. Ryan Robertson at at at, uh, at Kansas. Uh, that was my opportunity to do it on national TV. Uh, when you were overseas, um, w- one rival opponent you played against overseas. Anybody stand out? Roberto Bergeson. Okay. Um, and let me just give you a caveat on Roberto Bergeson. So there's this big thing going around in the in social media right now, uh, where there was like a privilege test where these where these kids are lined up on the line, and they they say they're going to race for a hundred dollars, and the guy starts asking questions, and the kids are taking steps forward. I don't know if you've seen it, and then there's some black kids on the line that don't move forward. Well, that's called a privilege test, and we've done that before. Now, Roberto, I played against him in Belgium, and then we played. Uh, I played against him in Turkey as well. His son, Rylan, who just signed at BYU, he's a freshman at BYU this year. My son is named Rylan. That was the first time I heard that name. My wife and I got the name from his son. So I named my son after Roberto <laughs> Bergeson's son, Rylan. And uh, Roberto is the coach at Link Year down in Branson, Missouri. And he was the coach who put on that social media. Okay. Uh, that, who put that on social yeah. media. So right when he did it, he posted it. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I saw it the other day, and it's got like 25 million views, and people are like, this is the craziest thing. And I'm like, man, this is a great dude. So, like, Roberto, uh, me and him went, went way back, and I knew he would make an impact as similar like that's what I'm trying to do. 
what's one thing you remember hearing someone shout at you on the court that made you laugh? <laughs> and I'm going oh. back there. I know it's been a while since you've been on the court, but anything that you're like, okay, that was good. Because here's the thing. I ask that because sometimes, you know, uh, us as conference staffers, we have the, 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 uh, the, the job of, you know, sort of not managing the game, but for television, you know, we're there, the headset on, make sure TV production crew has what they have. And I've been at some games before. I'm sitting right there on the, you know, media row, press row, whatever it is. And I'm hearing some people yell some things. I'm like, okay, that made me laugh. That's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. Okay, that would make me laugh. Right. And I'm wondering, because you guys typically on the court don't show those emotions. You're locked right. in. There's got to be one thing that may have sort of got to you on the free throw line or something, maybe. It never really, honestly, uh, when people yell stuff at me throughout my career, for some reason I played better. And so if somebody said something, and I can't remember anything specific, but I do remember people yelling, and I would make like two or three threes in a row, and they would stop yelling because their friends would be like, stop it, you're making it worse. <laughs> and so uh, I do remember at Wichita State, it wasn't at me. I was on the bench, and I had, you know, Kwame James was on my team, and uh, <laughs> they were yelling. They were like, and Kwame and I were the only African Americans on the team. And they were like, Kwame, you got to be pretty terrible to not get in the game. You're the only only black dude on the team. You can't even get in the game. And I remember, like, we were losing. And when you're losing, you can't laugh on the right. bench. But it was so hard not to laugh. Wichita State fans were always said the most crude things, you know, things I can't say, repeat right now. But that was funny. My final question, and I'm putting you on the spot with this one, but that's okay. Okay. Uh, it's all good fun. Pick one. DJ Ballantyne, <laughs> Colt Ryan, 1999 Marcus Wilson. Oh, man. You know, I really do uh, want to be humble. I really do want to be humble on this. If you're picking yourself, and, it's and, okay. And I really want to be humble and, and, and pick one of those other two guys. They're great players. I would side with myself only because we won the championship. I'm not saying, you know, uh, I know those guys passed me up in points, but, uh, I mean, we went to the tournament, and so that's kind of hard to top, you know. That's that's why I would go with myself. And I, and I ask that because for folks that don't know, and I'm pulling out my research here, uh, Thousand Point Club at Evansville. Well, there are four players that have more than two thousand. DJ mm-hmm. finished his career as all time leading scorer with two thousand four hundred sixty four, or actually more than that, I think. Um, Colt Ryan, uh, two thousand two hundred seventy nine. Uh, Larry Hughes, two thousand two hundred thirty six, and yourself with two thousand fifty three. So you, the top four scores in Evansville oh. uh, basketball history, right there. So one of the things I take pride in is not only just scoring the points, but I I felt like, uh, especially my junior year. I mean, especially my senior year, I felt like I made my teammates better. Uh, not only just on the court, but more so off the court, pushing them to get to the gym. So uh, instead of going to the gym by myself and shooting 500 shots, I would try to bring someone with me. And I wasn't trying to show anybody up and say, oh, I was at the gym and you weren't. No, we all need to get better. And I think that I pushed my team, like I said, the summer of my junior year, and that's what allowed us all to improve enough to win the Valley. So. For that reason alone, I think that I, I, I enabled my team to get better, and we won as a team. And so that's that, that, that's I take I take a lot of pride in that. And like I mentioned, the game has changed. The valley itself has changed. Yep. UE's playing in a different facility, different coach with Marty Simmons, different offensive you know thought there. Um, but they the, the program has a history of, of prolific scoring. So yep. that that's the point that I was making there yep. with the question. So. <laughs> yep. Uh, you keep up with the league at, at still still watching UE in the Valley at all? I do when I can. Uh, 
you know, when uh, I try to come here to uh, Arch Madness when it comes in yeah. town, you know, I follow UE. I have, you know, I have this obviously apps and I follow what they're doing. And and so I, I follow when I can. I, I don't make it back there as much as I would like to, but I, I follow them. And, I, you know, I think Coach Simmons has a good thing going. And he obviously keeps recruiting guys who can put the ball in the basket. And so as long as you can score, you have a chance to win. So, yeah, I, hopefully, you know, we have a good year this year. And it, it's opened things up more with Wichita State leaving. Yeah. And so hopefully we have a chance to get another title under our belt. Right now we only have the one in 99, and we need to get another one here soon. Well, sir, I appreciate your time immensely. This has been fantastic. Um, your story fascinates me. You're a great storyteller. Like I said, I, I hope folks uh, find some, not only, you should be like a motivational speaker because I feel like I'm ready to go out and, and get and hustle and run or something like that. But um, keep doing what you're doing. I, like I said, I appreciate uh, you, you telling the story and what you're doing here in our community. And uh, uh, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.